Hey, grab your Bibles, and uh, we're going to jump in the Word here in a second. But before we do that, I want to just follow up on what went on in worship. And if you've been around here before, you know that, man, we, we do our best to prepare to be able to get things ready, which has to do with setting up chairs, putting up a sound system. You know, whoever's leading worship is preparing. Whoever's teaching, they're preparing. They're trying to get things ready. But we also gather here and just know that God, when God shows up, he, we want him to use our plans, but we're saying, God, you go beyond our plans. And so some stuff happened today that was beyond our plans. And so like Rachel got up and shared that word about shame and that story that, that God had given her out of the scriptures about when Jarius came for his daughter and then that woman got healed on the way. And as she was sharing that and kind of testifying that God is wanting to lift things off of our lives, and then Jared followed up with that, a story just a couple chapters later in Mark. Um, she was sharing out of like Mark, I don't know, it was about the third or fourth chapter where the story of Jairus is. But a few chapters later in chapter nine of Mark, there's another situation where there's a little boy that has a struggle and his father wants him to be healed so bad. And Jesus says, just believe. And he says, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. And Jared prayed that out a minute ago, but I felt like specifically for us here today, that, and this isn't the teaching, that specifically for us, there were some of us that when we heard this word about faith and God wanting to lift off shame, we thought that woman that reached out and touched his garment must have had so much faith. We just thought she had this incredible faith. I don't have that. So I'm not going to get my miracle, right? I just want to tell you the story of that woman is she had gone through years of agonizing what she felt like was an answer, unanswered prayer. She didn't have a lot of faith. She had a little tiny bit of faith. It was like this was her desperate last hope. She goes, there is a guy that's, that people say is the Messiah and that can do things, so I'm going to reach out with my last bit of strength and just hope that he's going to touch me. And it says that Jesus turned her and saw, there's faith in you, you're whole. And I, I just felt like the Lord wanted to say, some of us have disqualified ourselves that we don't have enough faith for the miracle that we need. Whether it's shame being lifted, whether it's a struggle that we have in our lives being lifted, whether it's grace and forgiveness, whatever it is, we feel like we don't have enough faith. And the Lord says, just like that guy did, that dad in, in Mark chapter 9, I have belief, but help me in my unbelief. And Jesus turned to him and says, you got it. You got it. So God, I just pray that for us here that are wrestling and maybe feel like I, I don't have enough, Lord, remind us that you said all it takes is a little tiny seed, a little tiny bit of faith in you. And you've got the rest of it, Lord. And we've all got that much. We've got that much, so just pray that where any person here has felt disqualified and felt like they don't have what it takes to be able to receive what you want to do, that is a lie. That's one of those lies that we want to bring down, and we want to say that your blood speaks a different word. Your blood says, I see what you have. You have the seed of faith that's needed, so receive. Receive from me what I want to give you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks, Rachel, for coming and sharing that. That was cool. Hey, we've been in a really helpful series in these last about, I don't know, it's been about eight weeks, and it's called Assembled. 
And uh, it's been a series where we've been exploring quite a few biblical metaphors that God gives us about what the church is and how it works and why it functions. And I think it's perfect timing for this series because y'all know 2020 was a weird year. And during the kind of weird year that we had last year, it was confusing. It was disorienting for all of us. We heard things like, stay at home, stay apart, and be healthy. Like, how does that help? How does, how, how does isolate and stay healthy get in the same sentence? We know that when we isolate, we might be able to not get a cold, but we're not healthy either. And so 2020 was just a really confusing disorienting year that messed with a lot of our identity, but it also messed with the identity of the church. You know, we had a lot of people in our church family saying, what, we're not being the church, the building's empty. You know, people saying, we're not having Sunday morning services, we got to fight to be the church. So what is the church? What is the goal of the church? Is it to have Sunday morning meetings? We're in a Sunday morning meeting right now, but is that really the goal of the church? Is that it? Or is it to be in a building to make sure we're in a building, we're in a tent, so we're not even a building. So what is the church? And so I think it's been perfect time for us to go through this series on metaphors of the church because we need to know and be reminded of what the church is. And so this series, I think, has been super helpful. Last week, Jared shared about the body and um, the church being the body, living and connected. And it was really super practical, Jared. And I thought it was also really comforting and inviting. It's like you talk about the body and each part being connected to the other. It's just like, ooh, yeah, that feels so cool. Like we fit together and when we're together, the body functions and every part of it feels inviting. And a lot of these other metaphors that we've looked at, like the bride of Christ, that feels super inviting as well. The family of God, really inviting. Even the flock. You know, we talked about the flock, and we may not think it sounds super inviting to be called sheep, but to think that we have this great shepherd that's overseeing our lives, they've been really helpful and feel, I, I, I think we can go away feeling like really touched, like, yeah, we're in a family, we're in a body, we're the bride of Christ. Well, today, I want to talk about us as the church being the building of God. You know, it's like all these really cool metaphors, and then like we have a metaphor that God gives us of the church as the building of God, and that doesn't feel quite so warm and fuzzy, you know? It's like, I'm going like, oh man, the building of God feels a little bit rigid, like, uh, I don't know, a little bit less alive, if you know what I mean, like a building it doesn't sound like a real living organic thing like some of these other deals. But I just want to say don't tap out um, for a couple reasons. I think in this metaphor of the church as the building of God, I think there's some cool things that we can glean about the church and also about God. But I also want to just say that this is a little tip towards those that are a little bit left-brained. Now, if you're familiar, you may not be familiar that there's like a right brain and a left brain side in our heads. And those that are kind of right brain dominant, they, they thrive in how their gut feels and their feelings, tend to be artistic, love things that are creative and organic and alive. 
And man, praise God, I love that. And we all have part of that. But there's those that just like, they live there. But guess what? There's also those that are left brain dominant. I'm one of those. And those are people that think more systematically and more structured and more like orderly. This is the way things happen. And so this is a little tip of the hat to those that are a little left brained dominant here. And to be able to say, not only does the church have some of that, but God has some of that. You know that? God's not just right brained, He's whole brained. He's got left and right brain. And so those of us here that are kind of like, those of you here that think more engineer systematically linear thinking, don't get discouraged, lean in. The rest of you, don't lean out either. Lean in because there's some things here for us for, that God wants to give us. Um, I do want to give us a, a real quick disclaimer as we talk about the church as the building of God. And we're going to build this out a little bit more, but I just want to give a real quick disclaimer that this is a metaphor. This is not about a literal building, okay? When we talk about the church being a bride, we don't all run out and get in a wedding dress and show up at church, right? Because we understand it's a metaphor. When we talk about the church as a flock, as a body, you know, we understand it's a metaphor. Don't switch gears and think that as we talk about the church as a building, don't start thinking of it's about the building, that we might or might not have, because that's not what this is about. There's some cool things about buildings. Buildings are fine, but this is a metaphor about the church, which is the people of God being built into a building for God. So make that really clear. So let's jump into a couple scriptures. First one I want to share with you is out of Ephesians chapter 2, Verses, I'm going to read from 19 through 22. I just have one of the verses up there. So if you got your Bible, you can look in Ephesians 2, verse 19. It says, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, the whole building is being joined together and growing into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Okay, so this passage in Ephesians 2 says some really cool things. And I want to I just give you a little portion of this out of the message. Verse 22 in the message says, He is building you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Jesus as the cornerstone that holds everything together. And I love how it puts brick by brick, stone by stone, we are being built into this building for God. Now this Ephesians 2 passage says a few things about the building of God. One of the things it says, it says that Jesus is the cornerstone. It means everything rests on Jesus. If the cornerstone's out, the building's down. It also says that there's a foundation that's being laid by the apostles and prophets. And I want to be clear here, the foundation here is not the apostles and prophets. You never find Paul saying, I'm the apostle of the Gentiles and I am the foundation. You have Paul saying throughout the New Testament that there is a foundation that's being laid by the apostles and prophets. What was that foundation? It was the gospel of Christ. It was the gospel of Christ. That's the foundation. It's not the apostles and prophets as people. 
The foundation was this gospel of grace that is so different from the Old Testament, the law, the the new thing that was coming that had to be the foundation of the church with Jesus as the cornerstone is the gospel, the beautiful gospel that is by grace you've been saved, not by works that any person can boast. And so this passage talks about these things, about the, the foundation, about Jesus being the cornerstone, and about us all fitting together. And I love how it ends because it even gives the why of this building. Why are we a building? So that God can dwell in it by his spirit. You know, that's the goal of the church, to be a dwelling place for God to live. A dwelling place for God to live so that people can look in and say, God's in that place. God's with those people. I want to look at one more passage. 1 Peter chapter 2. So right after Hebrews and James, you find 1 Peter. And this is a familiar passage, but it brings some other cool things about the building of God. Verses 4 through 5, it says, As you come to him, the living stone who was rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones, small l, small s, are being built up as a spiritual house where you will be a holy priesthood, offering sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It's a cool passage where it talks about us as people being living stones that are being built upon the capital living stone. Who's the capital living stone? That's Jesus, all right? He is the living stone that we are all built upon as living stones beneath him. He's that cornerstone. And um, I want to remind you that these first disciples, as they were hearing this, these first disciples in the early churches, they're hearing this point back to this building, this holy temple of the Lord. They, these first disciples that heard were from a Jewish community. So what were they thinking about when they heard about the temple and this holy building for God to live in? What were they thinking about? They were thinking about the temple. Right in the middle of the Jewish tradition and community, there's a physical temple. There was a physical temple. And that temple was pointing back, way back to Solomon's temple that was built. You can look in 1 Kings chapter 6 and 7 to kind of look at some of the details about that. But Solomon built this temple called by God. And I'm telling you what, it is ornate. It's extravagant. It is so detailed, it's ridiculous. Like every curtain, how, how it was detailed, what it was made out of, how the curtains were hung, every part of the temple, how big it is. Like it is so detailed, it's built out. And when this temple was built, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. The whole world looked at it and said, this is an amazing temple. And then it said, God lived in that temple. The presence of God came into that temple and filled it. If you went wandering into that temple and you weren't supposed to be there, you know what happened? You died. <laughs> Fell over dead. The priests even had ropes tied on their ankles. So if that priest was hiding something from God, God always knows. So if they died while they're in there, you could pull them out by their ankle so that nobody had to go in there to try to get them out and then possibly die. Because the presence of God was there. So this Jewish culture, these disciples, and this, the early church, many of them from the Jewish culture, they're thinking of the temple. And if you know the story of the temple of Solomon, it got destroyed 500 years after it was built. This beautiful temple. Because the people of God 
had a struggle with rebellion, wanted to do things their own way. Okay, so this temple got destroyed. The Babylonians destroyed the temple. 400 years later, God's beginning to lead his people into this shift that is now accomplished as we get into the New Testament. God's leading them to shift from thinking of a physical temple into something else. So 400 years after this this temple was destroyed by the Babylonians, quick history lesson, it says the children of Israel go back, Ezra and Nehemiah leading the charge, they go back to rebuild the temple and the wall. And they start laying the foundation and building this temple. And you know what it says happens? It says the people started to weep and cry. You know why? Because they said they looked at the temple and saw that it was so small and so minute in comparison to this vast temple that Solomon built that they were all upset and they were disappointed. And then you have God speaking through one of the prophets named Haggai. In chapter 2 of Haggai, it says, God spoke to the people and he says, don't worry, the glory of this latter temple, this one that's being built now, this latter temple, the glory of it's going to be better than the glory of the first temple. He didn't say the building was going to be better. The building in the first temple was way better, covered with gold. It was crazy. But he said the glory of this latter temple is going to be better. There was a point. There's a shift that's going on. Later on, Jesus, as he comes, John chapter 2, Jesus turns to the people, the same culture of Jewish people, and he says, tear this temple down, and in three days I'll rebuild it. That's what he said to him. Tear this temple down, and in three days I'll rebuild it. And it says they all looked around and said, "You're going to tear this temple? How could you? How could you rebuild this? It took him forty years to build that temple. What's this guy talking about? What was Jesus talking about? Himself. And so the shift is happening again. There's another shift where God's saying, "I'm taking attention off of a physical building into another place." Jesus says, "Tear this temple down." I will rebuild it. So there's this thing is happening where God is trying to get it very clear with his people that the temple that he's talking about is another temple. So what is that other temple today? What is the temple of God? This isn't a trick. Yeah, you remember what 1 Corinthians 6 says? It says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives in us. As, as, if you're a follower of Jesus, God lives in you, and you are the temple that carries his dwelling, and we as the church are being built into a holy temple together, a holy building where his glory lives and where he is able to shine. And it's the same purpose as what the original temple was, that the presence of God would be evident and available to the world. That's why God wants to live in us as his church, as his people. Now, as we look at this, this metaphor as the church being the building of God, it brings attention to a few things that I just want to, I think that's worth pointing out. First thing it says to me is that the church is strategic and systematic. You hear that? The church is strategic and systematic. You know, if I was saying, kids, I want somebody here to build me a really cool sand castle. All we'd need to do is we'd need to drop a bunch of sand and we'd need to let us sit down and we'd start building our sandcastles. How many of you could build a sandcastle? Really? How many of you are awake right now? Come on. 
So how many of you could build a sandcastle? You kids could build sandcastles. But if the goal is to build a building, you don't just drop off all the products. You know what you start with? You start with a designer and an architect and a plan. You know, if some of you have done some building, you don't just show up with a bunch of two-by-fours and nails, right? And start building. You look at a design. There's an architect. There's a plan. There's a builder behind it. The church is strategic. It's systematic. God is the architect. God is the builder. He's the designer of the church. And he's the one that we want to look to for everything that's happening. Another thing that this metaphor of the building says about the church is that it's structured. There's structure to it. You don't just show up to a house and start, like, putting paint on things, right? Because there's something that holds it. There's a structure. There is a structure to the church that God has laid out. He's chosen his foundation. It's Jesus and the good gospel of Jesus. There's some other structure that's biblical that we can see. God has chosen that his church has leaders, elders and pastors and deacons, people that lead, and those are structural components of the church. You can't skip that. If you skip it, it's like trying to hang sheetrock with no two-by-fours. The sheetrock has a little bit of strength, but when there's two-by-fours, there's something to nail it to, and it's going to stand. Leaders, deacons, elders, pastors are a part of that. You know what else is a part of the structure? Biblical values that are listed in the scriptures. We don't make up the culture of the church. Do you know that? There are some things we can make up. Like we can make up like, what kind of music do we want to use? You know, uh, what kind of things do we want to have? Do we want to be an Etsy looking church that's really cool looking or not? You know, that's, that's fine. But when it comes to the values of the church and the culture, it's to be set by this right here. It's to be a culture of grace. Supposed to be a culture of love. Supposed to be a culture where forgiveness is available. Supposed to be a culture where we are on equal ground. If you have a lot or you have nothing, it doesn't matter. We're equal ground here. There's, there's a lot of biblical values that shape the structure of the church. And the third thing that I see in this is that it's living stones. I tried to use all S's. And I wanted to say it's symbiotic stones, and it just sounded lame. But it's living stones. It's built with living stones. Which what that says is it says you fit. You matter. This building isn't complete without you. Now, I do want to make it clear that you are significant, but you are not foundational, and neither am I. The foundation belongs to Jesus. And his good gospel. So you're not foundational, but you matter. And you're significant. And we need you to be a part of this brick upon brick, stone upon stone building. So what? So what are we going to do with this? I see three things that can be kind of a takeaway for us here in this metaphor of the church being a building. I see it as an invitation to wholeheartedly surrender to God's leadership and ways in our personal lives and in our church family. To wholeheartedly surrender because that's what we do with the one that is the designer and architect of our lives and of his church. We come to wholeheartedly surrender. I think there's also an invitation, and I want to just mention as, as I talk about wholehearted surrender, some of us really resist that. 
you know, we love Jesus, and man, we love that he comes to forgive us, but we really resist surrendering because we have that thing in us that somehow we think that if we hold on to our lives and do it our way, it's going to be okay, and it's not. It's just going to get screwed up again. That is what happens. God really does know better, and he cares about us and loves us, and he has a way through. So wholehearted surrender to God in his ways. The second thing that I think this is an invitation to is to live in cooperation and submission to God's structures and leadership and gospel values. You know, there's a, the word surrender and submission are really different. First word is surrender to God and his ways. That means you give up whatever you're saying. You just put your hands up and say, I surrender. I give up. Submission, the word actually in the New Testament that talks about submission, where it talks living in submission to one another, or submit to leaders, or wives submit to your husbands, all these kind of things. You know what it really means? It's a military term, and it means keep in step with those that are around you. Stay in step. Don't just walk to your own tune. Stay in step. And so the second invitation is that we would live lives We would look to live our lives staying in step with those that are around us, staying in step with leadership, the biblical values. And you may see things a little bit differently, but stay in step. It doesn't mean that we give up everything that we are, but that we stay in step. We look to be in stride with one another. And the third thing is, and lastly, that this is an invitation for us to fully engage and give ourselves to his work to fully engage and give ourselves to his work. And what I want to say about that is we, we desperately want to encourage you and exhort you to find how you fit in this building structure because it matters. And it's not just window dressing. It's not just for looks. It's more like brick upon brick and stone upon stone. You know, if you're playing Jenga, what happens if you start taking out some of the, the bricks or the stones or the wood pieces? It eventually what? Falls. And we need you to be built in to what God's doing. And the ultimate goal is so that God would receive glory in this world. So that on this earth, people would look and say, there is a God who loves. There is a God of mercy. The failure that I feel, the shame that I feel is not what God says. God says something different. And I know where I can go to find out about that. I can go to his people, his church, and hear that trumpeted over my life and be reminded how good God is.